So today's reading is from John chapter 5, uh, verses 41 to 44. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Thank you. It is lovely to be up with you. Um, I have a little bit of experience of, around Westminster and I have been to carol services that Christians in Parliament have put on in the past. I know the chapel a little bit and it's lovely to be uh, back amongst you from the far wilds of the north. Um, this passage is uh, really striking, I think. Um, We've been teaching through John's Gospel at church over the last few weeks. I've been really struck by the penetrating insight Jesus gives into the mind of the uh, Pharisees. And, and, and he does it over and over again, over a series of, of sort of interactions. I'm going to pick on three of them over these three weeks. And I want you to have a look at verse 42. I wonder if, if we could have the reading back on the screen. Um, you don't need to look at my ugly face. And, and the Bible is a much better thing for you to be looking at. At the beginning of verse 42, I know you. Actually, Jesus knows the Pharisees and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And what he does in these, these passages is he, he peels back the sort of the, the layer and, and shows us what's really in the heart, what's motivating and driving uh, the Pharisees. And I think, therefore, to some extent, uh, us in our natural state and certainly uh, our friends and neighbours, as they may react to the gospel a bit the way the Pharisees do, um, uh, and we'll get to sort of digging into what Jesus said, but I'm, I'm going to read you a quote from a chap called Jonathan Haidt. You may have read the book, uh, The Righteous Mind. I only came across it recently. I was reading it last week, and this quote, which struck me as, as really um, insightful uh, from, uh, an, as far as I know, a non-Christian psychologist, uh, telling us about how people react to challenges from the truth. He says this, we should not expect individuals to produce good, open-minded, truth-seeking reasoning, particularly when self-interest or reputational concerns are in play. Did you hear that? When someone's reputation is at stake, they will prefer lies in order to maintain their reputation than a truth which might expose them to reputational damage. I'd love to dig into that in our present context much more if we had time we would do but you might think for example about whether people on social media are more concerned with truth and, and carefully reasoned argument or with protecting their reputation and, and perhaps attacking the reputation of others i don't think we need to say much more on that do we we might think about uh, modern sort of woke business practices that the need to be seen to be on the right side of a particular conversation, otherwise your, your reputation of your business might be damaged, even if actually uh, the particular issue at stake is not something that your business has any, any relationship with. And I think it's that, that issue of reputation that's really the nub of our passage this afternoon. There is what the, the crowd would call right, and there is what God calls right. There is uh, the truth according to the crowd, and there is what we might call the real truth, God's truth. And sometimes, perhaps often, uh, those things overlap and there's no, there's no grey area, no, no, no sort of internal battle. But that's not always the case, is it? And Jesus, in our passage this afternoon, 
it digs into what happens when inconvenient truths from God challenge our reputation. I want us to begin where Jesus ends in verse 44. Have a look at that. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? I remember Jesus here is speaking to the religious elites in Jerusalem. And he says, how can you believe it? Or put another way, he's saying it's impossible for you to believe the truth about Jesus. You cannot believe the truth. Why? Because they accept glory from one another. You might call that praise. They accept praise from one another. They, they care about, they love their reputation with each other. They'd rather be in with each other than they would be in with God. They cannot believe the truth because their reputations with one another matters more than their reputation with God. Now, that's very uh, similar to what Jonathan Haidt says, isn't it? Now, please notice that desiring to be praised is a totally natural thing. To, to want to be loved and valued and well treated as a result is a perfectly legitimate desire. But Jesus tells us there's only one healthy place to seek that affirmation from God himself but these powerful leaders these religious leaders they've no real interest in God look at verse 42 again you do not have the love of God in your hearts striking isn't it here are the most powerful religious leaders of their day it's the equivalent of of the house of church of England bishops um and I, and I don't say that to, to lead you down any particular path in thinking that or, or, or to, to wonder what my conversation with my bishop is going to be after I've had this meeting. Um, but as, as a group, Jesus says, you do not love God. Uh, they've come to be in the position of the most powerful uh, religious and indeed secular people in their society, not because they love God, but because they love the praise of people. They want to be the in crowd they want to be seen to be the, the the right sort of people and there is no more in crowd uh, in the first century israel than the sanhedrin do you see the deepest motivations of their heart is not the love of god they wouldn't necessarily see that i think they would probably say they love god Almost certainly they would do. But Jesus is, is saying, I know you better than you know yourself. I'm peeling back the layer and showing you your own heart. They care nothing for hearing God say on the final day, well done, good and faithful servant. They want the position, the power, the prestige now. Now, if we were being charitable, and we often aren't charitable with the Pharisees, are we? But if we were being charitable, we might think, that the Pharisees are simply being cautious. After all, at the beginning of chapter five, uh, Jesus performs an almost unbelievable miracle. He heals a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years and he gives him back his legs and tells him to walk. And then when he's challenged that he did that on the, on the Sabbath, he says, I, I can do things on the Sabbath because my father does things on the Sabbath. He claimed to be God's own son, making himself equal with God. Everyone's clear. Jesus is claiming to be God. And there's surely only two possible conclusions at that point. He's either God incarnate and should be worshipped, or he's a deceiver and a blasphemer 
and he should be stoned. So perhaps we can explain their caution like that. Jesus' claims are extraordinary. But again, notice what Jesus says in verse 43. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. Here's the point Jesus is making. The Pharisees don't reject Jesus because his claims are implausible. Because if someone else came and made similarly implausible claims, they would accept him. Rather, they reject Jesus because he really is God and they don't love God. They're making a special case with Jesus because of Jesus' divinity. And because Jesus' divinity is a, a threat to their position. If the people start listening to Jesus rather than to them, because Jesus is God and they're not, well, then he will become the true teacher of Israel. And these men, who used to hold that title, will become redundant. Their position in the affections of the society around them would become diminished. And they love the praise of the people. So do you see that the Pharisees have a vested interest in disbelieving Jesus? They don't want it to be true that God has come to earth because that threatens their position. So they ignore his remarkable acts. They ignore his teaching and his compassion, the way he treats people. All the things that, that John's gospel presents to us and says, this is God himself, they ignore. Instead, they go looking for petty rule breaking something jesus has done which they can use to discredit him and, and and use as evidence for their own position they grasp at straws they, they reach for the rules about sabbath they say you you can't do things like that on the sabbath uh, not that it's god's rule it's their rule that jesus is breaking it, it wouldn't stand up in court the, the the bible is clear that jesus can do good things like that on the sabbath but it's enough for them to be persuaded not to listen to him and so Jesus says, I've come in my father's name and you do not accept me. And it's a shocking verdict, isn't it? Given who these men are, they are the people who should first of all have come to Jesus. They know their Bibles better than anybody else. They're supposed to be God's most loyal servants. But they really serve themselves and they will not allow themselves to see Jesus for who he is. Let me get a little personal with us then for a moment, if I can. Some of us here today may be looking into Jesus. I'm so glad you're here if that's you. I do hope you'll come back next week when we see Nicodemus, who is one of the Pharisees, taking a, a turn away from that group towards Jesus. But if that is you, let me ask you an honest question. Assuming you've, you've had a look into Christianity and you've heard the claims of Jesus, what stops you from trusting Christ? Are you being held back at all because you worry about your reputation with your friends and family? And let me ask you, is that really a good enough reason to reject the evidence for Jesus? What about those of us who are Christians, which I guess is probably most of us here uh, this afternoon? Are we open about the fact that we're believers with our friends and family? I guess we all know the temptation, don't we, to play down our Christianity in certain contexts to, to fit in with our peer group, especially if we face some of the same sort of treatment Jesus faced from his enemies here. Um, after all, they murdered him, and we might feel that, that our reputation will get murdered if we come out as Christians. 
So when we find it scary to turn to Jesus for the first time, or scary to be honest about the fact that we belong to Jesus, we need help here to have a reset of our thinking. And I think Jesus gives us the tools to enable us to live free from this fear. Let me show you verse 44 again. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, someone who believes will we'll seek the glory that comes from God alone. Take Jesus as our example here, verse 41. I don't accept glory from human beings. Or to use a colloquialism, Jesus doesn't care what anyone else thinks. He only cares what the Father thinks. He told us earlier in chapter 5 that he loves the Father and he says and does what the Father says and does. He's devoted to the Father, devoted to the truth about God, and devoted to revealing the truth about God. The Pharisees love praise, but the praise of men. That love drives them to, to hide the truth, to live a lie. It drives them towards murder. But Jesus, who loves God and loves the truth, speaks the truth, and he is willing to submit to their murder in order to redeem his people. I wonder which group you find more attractive this afternoon. Jesus' affection for his father was such that he was willing to obey him to the point of death. The praise that comes from God was so precious to Jesus that the opinions of others mattered very little. He was able to accept his reputation being ruined because his reputation with people just didn't matter. If we're going to be free from that fear of reputational damage, then we need to be as sure as Jesus is that God is going to approve us too, don't we? Jesus, after all, served God perfectly in every moment of every day. He, he earned God's affirmation. He could be sure of it because he knew that he lived the perfect life. But what about us? We've betrayed Jesus, haven't we? we we've hidden our faith. Some of us have never even believed in Jesus. How could God ever approve of us? That's an important question, isn't it? So please hear this. It's utterly critical that you do so. Jesus guarantees for you the approval of God. Guarantees it. How? When these men put Jesus to death, he died in our place. All of the ways that we've denied Jesus, we've lived for the approval of others, we've believed lies rather than the truth. He took it all, he bore it to the cross, and he paid the penalty for it. Which means we're washed clean, as if we'd never sinned. Which is more. See, when Jesus clothed himself, as it were, in our sin and muck and filth, he also clothed us in his righteous life. Clothed you and me with the perfect and complete obedience and love and devotion to God. So you see, it's not only as if we'd never sinned, but as if we'd always perfectly obeyed God. And so remarkable as it may seem, God will look at every single Christian, every one of us, and see the perfect obedience of Jesus credited to our account. If you turn and trust in Jesus, and only if you turn and trust in Jesus, mind you, then God looks on you with all the love and generosity with which he looks on Jesus. Being human is a bit like being a politician who, who's always on the campaign trail, isn't it? 
always seeking to win the next vote with our peers, always seeking for public approval. But being a Christian is a bit more like being one of those politicians from centuries past where there was only one voter in, in the area and you only had to win one vote to be in. The only vote that matters is God's vote. And because of Jesus, he is for every single Christian completely. And he can be for you if you're not a Christian yet. His approval is the one that matters. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for Jesus, who is so committed to the truth, and so committed to revealing you to the world, that he was prepared to stand up to, to bullies and liars and murderers. I thank you that he has made you known, and thank you that we can know you through Jesus. Thank you that we can have your approval, the glory that comes from the Father, guaranteed to us because of what Jesus has done. Please, I pray, Heavenly Father, that every single one of us would, would find our security and our hope in that, that we would, uh, we would be spared the fear of other people's opinions, that we would live for the audience of one, and that you would thereby make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.